Good morning. Welcome back to the Exodus Express, our fast-paced sermon series through Exodus, the second book of the Bible. We took a brief break from the Exodus Express for Easter last week, or did we? I think you might find that actually Easter was as much part of the Exodus Express as every other talk in this series. Jesus' death and resurrection is in fact the fulfillment of everything else that we're talking about. So we haven't really stopped at all. So where are we at? Well, my talk this morning is very much in the shadow of that from Kirsty two weeks ago. And we're talking post-Passover now. We heard about Passover where God's people, the Israelites, were saved and delivered from the land of Egypt. Passover was the final installment of the plagues. Jesse brought us the plagues three weeks ago, if you remember that. (laughs) And as we said throughout this series, please do read the book on your own. We're going at pace, so do take this opportunity to read Exodus, to to look at this, to catch the podcasts of the talks, and see um, for yourself what you think of all this. So at the end of the last passage in the series, Pharaoh had just changed his mind. From dismissing Moses' requests for the Israelites to leave, the requests of God, we've turned right round and Pharaoh is begging the Israelites to go. And in this final encounter with Moses, he asks for a blessing on himself. Pharaoh, with all his power and riches, was affected in just the same way as each and every other Egyptian. He suffered as a father, as a human in the Passover. So we pick up the narrative with the creation of the Passover as a festival to remember. This morning's passage might sound like rules and regulations, but in fact, I hope we're going to see that this is God's provision and is actually a really exciting thing to read. So we're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, through into chapter 13. So Exodus chapter 12, from verse 37. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast, because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, to the very day, All the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations for the Passover meal. No foreigner may eat it. Any slave you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat it. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies both to the native born and to the foreigner residing among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. 
Then Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivite, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time, year after year. In the next bit, we're about to see some repetition with what we've already said. And that's not me going round in circles. That's not the um, writers of the Bible going round in circles. This is purely to emphasize the point. So um, we are continuing with this um, narrative, with these instructions. They do mirror it, but there's very much a purpose to that. So let's keep going. Chapter 13, verse 11. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign of your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Final section, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led, the pe- God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. The passage begins with the Israelites leaving Egypt. The Exodus, our starting point, right on that moment, the whole climax of this story. You've got a large number of people with their families and livestock, lots of livestock. We begin in the midst of a series of bulletins detailing these events. These verses at the end of chapter 12 are often treated as a sort of appendix to the main part of the story. But they are, in fact, an integral part of a structure that centralizes God's action and the actual deliverance of people. 
Back in the last talk, verses 21 to 27 of chapter 12, gives the first Passover event that gives the instructions to the Israelites for, the, for that Passover. It then moves on in verses 28 to 42 of chapter 12 to give the historical Passover event. And now in the final verses of chapter 12, Moses has given the perpetual Passover ordinances. These regulations are future-orientated. They intend to focus the Israelites on God long after Egypt leaves living memory. There's no separation in Exodus between the instructions to remember and the narrative of the events themselves. The significance of the events is as important for the generations after those who were there as it was for those in slavery themselves. The instructions are to remember what God's done. That's crucial. To quote the very wise Kirsty Parrott, Remembering God's faithfulness and redemption in the past fills us with trust, excitement, and hope for the future. The instructions we begin with deliberately mirror the event itself, and this remembrance comes in the form of a shared meal, a shared experience. Freedom is not just a historical memory. It's a living reality. And if you want to hear more of that, listen to Kirsty's talk. Of the seven instructions, five concern who should or should not share in the Passover. We're told in verse 38 that a mixed multitude also went up with them. This sounds slightly clumsy to me. It's a slightly clumsy translation of saying that there were many non-Israelites who also left Egypt in the Passover. I think that we often forget that God's people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, that that wasn't completely exclusive. People were able to join Israel. That's exactly what we see here in these regulations. They concern circumcision, but that's just a sign of joining the community. In verse 43, we read that no foreigner shall eat of it. That's the Passover. It sounds restrictive, but actually I want to say that it's not. Those prohibited were not committed to the community through faith in the Lord. The excluded foreigner refers specifically to people who worship other gods. You wouldn't expect them to participate in the Passover. However, People who had joined the community of Israel through the life circumstance of debt slavery or conversion, as well as by circumcision, were considered an Israelite. Circumcision was a sign of God's people. Now for us, we live in the age of the new covenant. God has opened the doors to all. That invitation stands clear. So often people outside the church think that Christianity and the Bible, it's all about following rules. How wrong could they be? See for yourself. Right from the start here, we see God making provision to extend his kingdom. Today, we get the privilege of being part of that. Because of Jesus, that same provision for all has been opened up. And I think one of the most exciting images of that in the New Testament comes in the parable of the great banquet, which is in Luke chapter 14. In this parable, the man invites his friends, his neighbors, his family, the people who you would expect to be invited to a banquet. If you're going to throw a party, you're going to invite the people that you like. However, none of them come. They all turn down this invitation on rubbish excuses. And so what happens? He says, go out into the streets. Luke 14, verse 23. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel, compel them in so that my house will be full. This invitation has been opened up. It's been extended. Not only has it been opened up to us, we're able to go and open it up to others, not just for the friends, family, neighbors, people we maybe like. It's for everyone. This is a highly inclusive message. 
The first 16 verses of chapter 13 belong in the framework of chapter 12. They complete and mirror the structure that we've already seen. The Lord's past and future actions are interwoven with commands concerning remembrance. Let's have a look at verse 8 of chapter 13. Verse 8, chapter 13 says, You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This is written in a highly personal way. You see, it's about I and me. As the story is told down the generations, it is to be told as the story of each individual. I was there. It was me who was rescued. It's putting ourselves in the story. For the Israelites, the rescue was effective for each and every one of them, whether they were there at the first Passover or not. For us today, Jesus' sacrifice, his death and resurrection, has made the way for us. We can put ourselves in that story as well. Think back a few weeks to all those things that we read around Easter. To the crowds shouting Hosanna, worshipping God on Palm Sunday. To the crowds jeering and shouting crucify him. How fickle are we? We too fit in the story. And the incredible thing is that Jesus has made a way for us to come to him. His rescue plan stands for each and every one of us no matter what our flaws. How can we forget what God has done for us, for me, for you? We are called to celebrate Jesus' victory over death each and every day of our lives. We celebrate the Passover, not literally, but we celebrate this idea of the Passover every day in the wake of Jesus' sacrifice as the Passover lamb. We have to be ever vigilant to maintain this high standard of conduct to which we as co-heirs, that's what we are, we're co-heirs with Christ, and we have called to that standard. As Christians, we live each and every day in the light of Jesus' sacrifice. Okay, let's move on to the final section. We're moving on from Passover, and we're heading out of Egypt. Verse 17 explains that God did not lead the people by the quickest route out of Egypt. God knew the Israelites even better than they knew themselves, so he chose a different route. He's God. He can do that. He knew how unprepared Israel would have been to enter the land of milk and honey if they'd reached it in two weeks' time along a well-built highway about 120 miles in length. God had led the people out of Egypt, and he continues to lead them. His people. His way. Although the Israelites are in the present experiencing God's plan, the idea of remembrance continues. This is made most evident in verse 19 when Joseph's bones are taken with them. A good example of the leader getting on with the plan while the rest of the people are all over the place. Remember the God we serve, what he has done for us, what he is doing for us, and what he will do for us. I think it's really interesting that the name the Lord, Yahweh, appears here for the first time since chapter 10. God becomes visible and near the people to protect and guide them. Until now, in Exodus, only Moses had been given a visible manifestation of the presence of the Lord. That's in Sinai with the burning bush. But here we get a remarkable statement about the Lord's presence. Verse 21. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. The pillars of cloud and fire, leading the people by day and night. These are divine manifestations of God's presence. 
Don't you wish God showed us the way that clearly? I don't know. I was thinking about this. And my first thought was, it would be great to have that. I'm a, a final year student, um, and I love to plan things. Planning is a hobby for me. So if, if, if we had this presence here as a pillar that we could just follow, I was thinking, that would be great. But imagine knowing where God was taking you, knowing that you're heading in the wrong direction, knowing that you're heading towards a dead end, and that without the miraculous, well, you're stuck. That's it. God's guiding isn't always easy. Trusting God should be really easy. It's simple. Just do it. He says, follow Jesus, get on with it. Sacrifice everything, give it over to him. But let's not pretend that's easy, because it's just not. As Christians, we are followers of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That statement's in John chapter 14. Jesus has fulfilled all the regulations that appear in today's passage. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. He made a way for us to experience God's life-transforming power every single day. And we're given the Holy Spirit to help us do it. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit anointing specific people for specific tasks at specific times. But as Jesus opens the way, the Holy Spirit comes to equip and transform each and every one of us. Being a Christian isn't about following rules or doing good things. There are things that we should and should not do. And it's good to do good things. But Christianity isn't about that. Christianity is about a personal relationship with God. One where we communicate with God and he communicates with us. Everything we do as Christians is through the framework, through the lens of that relationship. I absolutely believe that God guides us today. It may not be as obvious as a pillar. It may be. But it may not be that obvious. But God's guiding is still present in our lives. Well, how? Firstly and foremostly, we've got the Bible. God's word written down for us. Everything that we do as Christians should stand up to God's word. We should read it, study it, absorb it, live by it. That's all of it, including the difficult bits and the bits you don't like and the bits that you'd quite frankly prefer weren't there. It's God's word and God is God. Luckily for all of you, I'm not God, he is. And anyone who comes to pub church will probably verify that. The nature and character of God is revealed through his word. It's a bit like spiritual food. If you don't eat, you'll be hungry. If you don't read and live by, take action on God's word, you will spiritually be hungry. So God will guide us through that. We should feed on God's word every day, not just on Sundays. Go away, read stuff. Look into it on your own. Keep, keep going through God's word and see what he says to you. You'll be amazed how he, he brings certain things out. And we heard that from Megan this morning. Just a verse that comes to mind, things that you are drawn to. The more you read God's word, the more he will speak to you through it. What about other ways that God guides us? Well, you'll hear here, you've already heard it this morning, and maybe still will, people sharing pictures or words at church that they think are from God. You've maybe even heard that in your home groups. We would actively encourage you to listen for God's word. What you think he might be saying to you. It might be something that's just stuck inside your head. God can speak to you in any way he wants. Again, that's the nature of being God. God is God. He, he can do it how he wants, not how we want. If this can be in many ways, I don't know about you, but this morning as we were worshipping, I found so many of those lines in those songs jumping out to me and, and confirming things that I had written down here and things in my life 
Words of worship songs for me is a big way that God can just speak right to where I am. But there are many ways. It might be through creation. It might be through um, other believers. Other believers are a huge source of God's word to our lives. We should test everything. It has to stand up to the Bible. Don't take everything I say as absolute truth. See if it stands up to God's word. But we should listen out for God's guiding. The Holy Spirit is here. The presence of God is in this room and is ready to guide each and every one of us. God's voice won't always be loud. Listen to this verse from 1 Kings chapter 19. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. God's voice as a whisper. God knew what the Israelites needed. He knew that if they took the easy route, they would forget him. He knew that they needed his guiding to be that obvious, that clear, his presence in that divine manifestation. But it won't always be that clear. We need to listen out for God's voice, even if it is just a whisper. Hearing God's voice isn't always easy. If God's going to tell us to do something life-changing, he probably will confirm it in several ways. So, so don't worry about that this morning. But we do need to listen out. We need to be aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit, the life-transforming power of God. The great thing is that we've got God's presence with us no matter what. That has been opened up to us. Again, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was there for specific people doing specific tasks at specific times. However, for us, the Holy Spirit is here in our lives, working, and this morning wants to meet with each and every one of you. This morning's passage began at the Exodus. It's a rescue plan. There's an unlikely leader working with reluctant subjects on what seems like, quite frankly, an impossible journey. But behind it all is not just a leader. Behind it all is the creator of the world. God's rescue plan can be seen in all its glory here today. Following Jesus' fulfillment of the plan with his death and resurrection, that offer of rescue is available here this morning. We may not have the chariots, we seem to have lost the warm climate again, and we don't have the pyramids, but God is calling us out of the world. Not physically, but as Christians we are called to be citizens of God's kingdom, living here as exiles in a foreign land. One day we will physically be with Christ. But until that day, we have the Holy Spirit to guide, to empower us in everything that we do. God's presence isn't a pillar here, but I'm sure that many of you have felt it this morning. God is healer, restorer, provider. He is shepherd, shelter, light, life, hope, justice, righteousness, peace. God is God. God is God, and he is here this morning and wants to meet with you. And so that's what we're going to move on to make time for. In a few moments, we're going to have a time where you can receive prayer. We'll start singing again. The worship will start. And while that's happening, you'll be able to come up here to the front. People from home groups in the church will come and pray for you. And they're happy to pray about anything. It might be a physical need. God is the restorer of physical health. He can meet us and deal with those problems. It might be an emotional need. It might be a spiritual need. You know, this morning... I think that some of us maybe just even want a touch of God's presence and awareness of what he's doing in our lives. So that offer of prayer ministry is here. And I would encourage you, once the band start playing again, just to come up and receive from God. 
Remember what God has done for us. He is a great God with an incredible plan. His rescue plan has made provision for us. God has provided and completed everything that we need to come and know him and to join his kingdom. And God's presence is here this morning and available for each and every one of us. Do you want to stand and I'll pray? Father, we thank you that there is truth in your word, that you have spoken to us, that you guide us, that you lead us in every way. Thank you for your incredible rescue plan that has brought each and every one of us into your kingdom. Thank you that you deliver us and that you bring us to you. So, Father, we come before you again this morning and ask to meet with you. Holy Spirit, come in this place, meet with each and every one of us. Give us an awareness of your presence, more of you, God. So, Holy Spirit, just come. Show us the areas of our life that don't match up to your standards. Show us where we need prayer. Show us how to come back to you. God, give us an awareness of what you're doing here this morning. Father, we love you. We worship you. And we come before you. And we say that you are God. And your way is right. And that everything is for you.